ladies and gentlemen. You have a pose in the matrix here. Today is the 10th of February, 2020. I keep wanting to say 2019. I'll get it straight one of these days. Uh, yeah, we are living in a new decade, uh, 2020, and uh, the 2020s. And uh, okay, so uh, as usual, we have uh, Jim and Eric and myself. Hello, guys. Hello. How you doing? Hello. Good deal. Good deal. Folks, man, the news is hopping this week. Um, we're get, we got several subjects we're going to talk about tonight. The first I think we're going to talk about is the uh, the epidemic over in China and maybe the soon-to-be pandemic around the world um, with this coronavirus. Um, th- did you guys know that it was called corona because it looks like it's got a crown, and that's what corona means? I actually was not aware of that. Yeah. No, I whenever I hear corona, I think of that Mexican beer, right? Yeah. So I, you know, yeah it's just kind of weird for me. Yeah. Well, ironically, <laughs> people think um, – some people are thinking that you can actually catch the virus from the corona. Uh, I'll call it drink, which has nothing to do with it, which is probably going to well, be bad for their sales. You know. It's on the internet. It's got to be true, right? Right. Um, another thing we're going to talk about is this cap and trade thing that uh, they're trying to shove down our throats here in Oregon. But you know what? If it goes down here, then uh, – you, your state might be the next one, so I think it's important that we talk about it, what's happening here and um, and how it could impact everybody. Um, so cap and trade, otherwise known as Agenda 2020. Um, and that's what they're calling it in Oregon, too, by the way, Agenda 2020. Their cap and trade is just another fancy way. It's kind of like replacing global warming with, uh, um, help me guys, weather, uh, climate change. That's it. Did you say that's Agenda 2020 or are you talking about Agenda 21? Uh, I think well, it's just add one to it. Yeah, it's 2020 <laughs> here in Oregon. So Okay. All right. Um, 2020. Yeah. But so it could it, have some resemblances to uh, Agenda 21, right? Oh, yeah. It's definitely in line yeah. with it. Definitely in yep. line. And we'll discuss what that's all about. But, uh, okay, so, guys, let's let's talk about – just jump right in. Let's, you know, don't even test the waters. Let's just see what – well, you know, we've all heard about this uh, – this uh, virus over in China and now all over the world. Uh, but let me, I got, I'll go real quick because I, I've got only one thing to say. Um, I was listening, uh, some nurse, I guess, uh, from uh, China had posted something and, and she was crying while she was talking. So they were, they were interpreting it. And basically she said, you know, she just got off of work and she just got home and she was dead tired and she, she was cry, crying, talking about how she was watching people die right in front of her. Uh, people just falling to the floor. Um, how the 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 government is not advertising how many are really dying, um, and uh, and the populations that it's going after and stuff like that. So um, anyway, that having been said, uh, why don't you guys jump in because I know we were all talking about it before we went on the air. Well, you know the thing is that that it's way bigger than the Chinese are, are coming out and saying, and some of the evidence of it is just, you know, what we're getting. I know I get some of my news from Epic News, and it's, uh, you know, you guys know I, I got that subscription because I wanted to get the list of all of the uh, people that Obama had put into the government, where they are, who they are, and what they're doing. But uh, I was so impressed by the newspaper, how accurate and how good it was. Uh, that uh, I kept it because I just I can't give up, you know, those uh, articles. It just shows you a lot of stuff that's going on. And they're saying that, you know, that when you hover 
uh, the Google satellite over that area, there's like nothing but a haze mist of smoke coming from Wunhan. There's actually a satellite thermal image of it, of uh, either the spraying or it's all the... um, the burning the smoke from the from the burning yeah, of the cremation of the of the bodies. In fact, the they, they can't that, they can't yeah. burn them quick quick enough, so they exactly. now they're bulldozing them. Yep, they're just there's making video, huge there's actual pits. video footage of this. So they're just making huge pits and they're just burning everybody. They're not even bothering to take them to a morgue or anything because they're dying too fast. They can't they can't logistically move that many amount you know of people. So I mean, it's it's way out of control. Hundreds. Of thousands of fatalities, not you know, not what we're being told. What, what was it? Something like ten thousand a, a day or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, we're not getting a story, you know, and it's way bigger than than uh, anything we could imagine. So this and, and Jim, how how long do you suspect that um, this has been snowballed to the get to this point? How many months has it taken for them to? get to this mountain infection, do you think? I think we're going to find out that this is going to be almost like when everybody finally does start showing the symptoms, it's going to show up huge all over. Uh, uh, now, because of the holiday being the day that it was, it's going to be mostly in Asian country, related countries because they all have the same holiday coming up at the same time. Um, so most of the passengers that were going in international travel were headed to other Asian company countries, kind of like United States and Canada at uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas time or something. We have shared, you know, stories and interests, even though Thanksgiving has nothing to do with Canadians. They celebrate with us. We celebrate with them on Dominion Day or, or whatever. I Well, living near the border, we do with our neighbors next door because they're our neighbors. So kind of like the same thing, shared holidays. But... Man, all it takes is, you know, four or five key places, which uh, you look on the maps, the key places are Detroit, um, Boston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oregon. Um, Hi, Oregon. Um, You know, I mean, just enough places that these are breeding grounds for, you know, two or three months worth. And all of a sudden, boom, it's going to hit and it's going to be it's going to be a real burden on our own society. And the Super Bowl, probably the last place on the planet you would ever want to have been is in the Super Bowl where you've got people coming from all over the world. Um, uh, but that is going to end up being a, a massive breeding ground. Well, we're not going to know it for a couple months, probably. That's right. A so, couple months. Yep. Uh, yeah, it could be that long um, until we actually, I mean, Everything I've been reading is that it has the symptoms of SARS, but it also has the symptoms of of the uh, the plague. Uh, what was that? The the fever that of uh, 1918 uh, or oh, that's Spanish yeah, flu. Yeah, Spanish yeah, flu. Spanish flu. So it's got symptoms of both, and because it does, it's in flux of when you can detect it and when you can't detect it. So there's sometimes. You know, let's say the person has this, there'll be a week where it does show up in the testing and it, it shows positive. Then the next week it switches off and they can't detect it again. And so it's back and forth, back and forth. So nothing they have is a real valid way of, of detecting anything. And right. so you, all the scanning at the airports and everything means absolutely nothing. Do you think it's possible that, you know, everybody that gets infected with this thing um, – 
is it possible that some people only have end up having mild symptoms? Yes, because I think this might be specifically genetically controlled to to hit certain people types. Huh. One of the things they have mentioned uh, is that um, <clears throat> people with already underlying health issues such as diabetes, hypertension, <laughs> hypertension, uh, heart issues, heart whatever. Issues, yeah, heart it, issues. If they're over 60, it's like, hey, yeah. can I have any more? I mean, I, all of the above, how come I'm still alive? I'm in yeah, the worst so, situation. Right. You know, not even just the age factor because now they're even questioning the age thing. Um, but it seems like if you already have a underlying compromised – compromised immune system or underlying health condition um, those are the people that are more most likely, likely yeah. most likely will not make it um, you know what I'm, I'm and me being living in the area that I'm at I can pretty well confidently say that can't touch me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be one that's gonna be a victim of it I'm gonna be one that's gonna be cured from it no um, right. I know it. I know I will. So I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, matter of fact, I'm more concerned with with um, we need to mobilize here in Detroit and start getting prayer and healing teams together and getting a, setting up a, at least a loose framework for going out. And uh, this is what I'm going to start doing anyway. Um, I'm, within my ministry and some of the other ministries I know and related with, I want to get uh, the names of all the people that do have card-carrying clergy um, cards because they're going to have access to hospitals and situations that others are not going to be able to have. They need to be the team leaders regardless of where they're at. They need to just be team leaders just for the sake that they can get in an open door where others can't and lead a team and start formulating teams that can go in to these places and uh, start praying for people and start believing uh, it's going to take a lot of faith because, I mean, we're going to go, you know, here's the enemy coming and we're going to go rushing to the front lines to help people not die as opposed to running away and heading for the hills to hide. Right. Um, we're not going to do that. Not here in Detroit. We have had preparation for decades, I think, in getting us in a place of unity. And we have a sense of unity that goes beyond color, ethnicity, denomination. That, and believe it or not, you know, the toughest one of all is denomination. Yeah. We are so convinced by our own dogmas and, and things that we won't work with certain types because they don't think or believe the way we do. Well, you know, we've kind of gotten over that. That's the worst, toughest battle, and we're getting over it in Detroit. We have a sense of unity that's going to help us during this time. And I believe this uh, virus thing is going to help in other cities too, meld us together and make us solid. It's either going to dis divide us and destroy us, or it's going to make us stronger. I'm, I want to be the guy that sees the half glass full, not empty. Right. And I'm believing that we're going to respond, uh, truly being led of the Holy Spirit, to rise up and be the people and the church that we're supposed to be. I'm believing that's going to happen in America. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I was kind of concerned, um, and I'll tell you why because. Um, I think it was the 13th of last month, you know, we flew back from a uh, visit in Florida. And uh, when we got to the Orlando airport, 
there were, they had a medical team there and there was a lady, she looked like she was probably in her maybe mid to late thirties and, and they had her on a stretcher and everything else. And, uh, and they wheeled her out of there. And I, you know, that could have been just anything. It could have been a heart problem. It could have been anything, you know, so I'm not, I don't want to, you know, start a, a fear thing or anything, but, um, and then we, uh, we flew to Chicago, right. Um, and on that very same day, somebody that had landed in Chicago, um, had been uh, diagnosed with or had come down with the symptoms of uh, the coronavirus. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, were we on the same plane? Uh, you know, and I'm on a, I have a habit of when I get on the planes, you know, those little things that you turn to get air. Um, I don't turn them on uh, because all they're doing is they're taking, <laughs> they're taking the air from the front of the plane or the back, you know, whatever way you want to look at it and moving it around and just redistributing it, you know. And what a better way, man. You, you talk about oh, a, a virus Petri dish factory, you know. <laughs> well, anyway, um, oh, it was uh, maybe about, uh, it was 14, about 16 days later, I came down with a virus, you know. And, and it's been persistent. And so what I did is, and I had a fever one day, which tells me that it's probably not this. But uh, I, uh, a couple of days ago, I went over um, to my HMO and... Uh, you know, and I, I mentioned, it's funny because I mentioned, I said, yeah, I was in Chicago and that was the day that somebody with with this uh, coronavirus had been diagnosed there at the airport. And uh, and I said, and you know, it's uh, four, I know it's, you said only 14 days, but, you know, it's been 16, I think, and when this first started. So they didn't seat me with the regular population. They had me sit in the lobby by myself, this other lobby. And then they came out and the doctor, you know, he, he asked me about my... Uh, uh, you know, my, um, symptoms and, you know, yes, I did have some of the symptoms, but you know, every, every virus has those symptoms, you know, so it's kind of hard to tell. Well, anyway, he, um, right away he kind of discounted it and I was glad, you know, but I'm like, okay, but you know, uh, isn't there a way to check? You know, he goes, well, you don't have a fever now. He says, so I think you just have a, the regular virus that's going around and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but this is, my my heart rate for two days was, was beating at 125, you know, and I know that sometimes it does that before I get a fever, but it was doing it before, during, and after I had the fever, so that was kind of weird. Anyway, um, so it was pretty well determined that, you know, I know I didn't have that, and, and I'm glad, trust me, I'm glad, uh, because I've been around a lot of people, and that would have really caused a, a big problem, but um, I was kind of concerned about the casual... Um, casualty that the doctor exhibited you know it was kind of like oh well you know it's no big deal you know the center of disease control says that you know you have to have actually been in china or um and there was a couple other things that he said or had or very close personal contact with the person but then i'm reading that you know this thing it's uh they're it's called droplet precautions if somebody has it and they cough like in a bathroom at the airport Thankfully, it was a woman, so she would, if she was using a men's airport, she's got other issues, too. I mean, uh, a men's bathroom. I'm sorry. Is there, I hear a bunch of noise in the background. Anyway, um, so I, uh, anyway, you know, so if, you know, she touched an armrest that I touched and I put it up to my eye and, and something like that, you know. So have, working in a hospital, you know, we have something called universal precautions. You know, you constantly wash your hands to the mat, to the point where your hands start cracking because they're so dry. And, uh, you know, you, 
if somebody's infected, they're kept in their room, and you go in there with gloves and gowns and everything else. And when you get out, even though you're all gowned up and gloved up, you you still wash your hands, you know, and, and take other precautions just so that you don't get sick. Um, but, uh, you know, somebody that's running around the airport will, free willy-nilly, you know, what are they touching and stuff? What are they coughing on or sneezing on? You know, you're at, people got to wake up and start being careful about this kind of stuff. Because if this does turn into something like the 1917 Spanish flu, you know, it's it's not going to go away real quick. And I know that my um, oh my great grandmother lost three of her siblings um, back in 1917 due to the Spanish flu. So this is a very serious thing. Now, you know, granted, back then they didn't have the sanitary um, advances that we have. A lot of times they didn't wash their hands. Um, they worked out in the fields and they were dirty a lot, you know, and stuff like that. But um, but still, you know, even with the best precautions, if it's going to get you, it's going to get you. So, But it doesn't hurt to try to, to stay away from things and people that might, you know, be a, a risk. So, um, But, you know, one of the things that, that somebody had, had posted or said that is that uh, uh, people are starting to treat people of Asian uh, extraction uh, almost like they're the cause. Yeah, a little, a little bit of, you know, racism, maybe a, to, to some degree. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is if you most likely if you were in China, you are of Asian descent. So it's not necessarily because of skin color or anything like that. It's just that that's predominantly what most will look like um, if right. they traveled from, you know, one country there to visit and then come back. So. Well, you know, I got to admit that, you know, we were, on one of our flights, we were sitting behind an Asian couple, you know, and they were an older couple, maybe our age or maybe just a little younger. I can't really tell. But I was wondering, hmm, you know, did they just come back from China? Now, that in itself is to me was, you know, it's, it's a kind of a concern. But at the same time, was I making a judgment call just because they were Asian? You know, um, they might have been more American than me. Who knows? Uh, but I, you know, I was kind of ashamed of myself afterwards. I'm like, you know, I just kind of discriminated, you know, I, or not discriminated, but judged them maybe is, is another word because, uh, of the way they looked, you know, and I was like, David, you got to stop this right now. This is, this is BS. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, they, they could be flying in from anywhere, you know, from Canada or something, you know, it's, you know, but I, I can understand how it's easy to to jump into the fear factor. Well, you're you, know? you got you're in a survival mode. You know, you're thinking not maybe even just about yourself, but your family and everything. You don't want to, uh, you know, be a carrier that's going to end up coming into this contact, which is going to come into contact with the rest of your family. So we're all victims, I think, to a greater or lesser degree of just uh, a sense of survivor. Uh, you know, a survival mentality, I guess you might say, right. you know, we all have it. We're all stuck in it. And, and so it, to a degree, it can't be, you know, thought of, but I guess that's where we have to have our, our hope and our sense of security in Christ, not in, you know, the ways of the world. We got to think that, you know, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, that God is in control. He's always been in control. He's never not in control. And, uh, you know, I hopefully our faith can get us above that. 
right. uh, survival mentality. But it's there. I mean, it can't help it to be there. It's just, you know, just what we're stuck with and stuck in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, maybe this is a good segue. Do you guys have any more on the subject? Not really. No, there's, you know, okay, I mean, no. it's, it's worse than we are thinking and we need to hunker down in our faith spiritually, emotionally, and be prepared for um, some, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it, some some challenges that are coming come up ahead. I guess that's the best way I can put it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, speaking of Asia, um, our uh, beloved uh, communist governor has just come back from there not too long ago where she made some agreements, and I'll get into that in a little while, but I wanted to uh, Jim, we talked about on the phone, talk about cap and trade or carbon taxes or whatever you want to call them. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's something that's part of Agenda 2021, is it? The UN? I thought it was Agenda 2020. So, But anyway, um, uh, it, it, it's not working out where it's already been implemented, thank God. And maybe it, it'll be stopped in its tracks. But, um, you know, there's, there's always... Um, one thing I, I fault, uh, well, humans in general for, but especially uh, leftists, is that they, they take things that have been proven to be unrealistic and, and cannot happen and try to improve on them simply because they are the ones that are doing it and everybody else kind of screwed up and then that's why it didn't work. Um, and, and liberalism is, is notorious for that. Um, and we have a very, very, not, I'm going to even call her liberal. She's a communist. Um, governor in this state, Kate Brown, who happens to be the, the younger sister of Jerry Brown, who ruined California. Um, so <laughs> uh, hmm. anyway, so um, there's something that um, last year, I don't know if anybody heard about it. We might have even talked about it on this show. I don't remember, but um, they tried to pass a bill uh, called cap and trade. And um Basically, it was to reduce the, the emissions, uh, CO2 emissions that come from Oregon. Now, there's only two major population centers in Oregon. That's one's up by Portland, Portland, Vancouver area, and the other one's Eugene. Okay. And both of them are uh, very, um, very left in, in, uh, in politics. And because of that, uh, if you, if you lived here, and Jim, you could probably relate to this, Eric, not so much, I don't think, but, um, if you live in this kind of situation where most of the most of the constituents are in the cities and they vote for the whole state, uh, the people that live in the urban areas or excuse me, the rural areas often suffer uh, because the uh, liberals that live in the urban areas dictate policy all throughout the state, uh, which is why there should be a um, electoral college in every state yep. as far as I'm concerned. But uh, anyway, we, we suffer from that here. And uh, um, years ago, um, I, I often wondered why Oregonians years ago hated Californians, and uh, uh, it's because Californians brought California ideas up here, and uh, they were contrary to common sense. And and after a while, this place has been overrun by Californians. So now uh, it's more more Californian than California actually is. Um, so uh, anyway, getting back to what's going on, uh, this is called. Uh, I can't remember the name of the Senate bill right now, but, uh, oh yeah, it's uh, Senate bill 1530 cap and trade. And, um, so why it was turned down last time is, uh, Oregon has a, 
a system of government where when they go to vote on things, they have to have a quorum. In other words, so many people have to be present in order for a bill to be voted on. Well, uh, the, the Republican um, members of the, the House of Representatives here in Oregon realized that this was bad for Oregon, and so they didn't show up for work, um, at which time the governor called in the, the state police and said, when you find these people, bring them here. However, you have to get them here, and they will remain here until we vote on this. Well, they absconded and went to uh, to Idaho, um, and Idaho was very quick. Uh, the Idaho State Police were very quick to issue uh, an edict to the uh, Oregon State Police that uh, uh, if they left Oregon and came there, they would be out of their jurisdiction. Therefore, they were not welcome there, so don't even try to come get these guys, um, which is a, another good reason why or Idaho might be a good place to live. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, hence, you know, they ran out of time and they couldn't vote on it. Well, the governor started, well, if, you know, if, if I have to get this done, I'll set it, sign an executive order to get it done. And people are like, well, why can't we just bring it to a vote so that the people can vote on it? Because I think a lot of people up in Portland um, and Eugene are starting to realize this isn't a good thing because it's going to hit them in the pocketbook. Um, and if you really want to get a liberal to change his, his ways, hit him in the pocketbook, okay? Well, anybody, actually, if you think about it. But um, So anyway, the, the Senate uh, closed for this the uh, the term, and, and they came back, the, uh, the representatives did, and they received a whole bunch of flack. And then they were going to change it, try to change the constitution of the state so that a quorum was no longer necessary. Uh, that, I think, kind of fell by the wayside. And... Uh, so they're going to try to do this again. Now it's the year 2020, and they're going to try to, to, to force us through again. And I had a laugh because, uh, well, kind of a, uh, what do you call that, a tragic laugh, like a tragic comedy, um, because uh, there's a group here in Oregon, a very, and a very fastly growing and large group called Timber Unity. Um, you got to understand that in Oregon, the, the two main industries are, well, the that I know of anyway, logging is about the number one uh, industry here in Oregon. Um, and if you don't like logging, then find something else to, to use instead of toilet paper, because that's where it comes from. Um, if you didn't know that out there, it's made from, from wood pulp, which comes from wood, which comes from trees. Um, anyway, um, so, uh, uh, yeah, it would hurt, it would hurt um uh, logging tremendously, tremendously, it would hurt uh, trucking tremendously. And here's why: they want to reduce the uh, the amount of carbon uh, coming from Oregon down 88 percent. I think is what the they were saying. And uh, in order to do that, uh, well, where was it? There was I got a whole bunch of uh, tabs here that I, I was looking up stuff. So, uh, <clears throat> well, let's go back to Timber Unity. Um, now, like any other group that there is, uh, these groups get infiltrated. You know, just like a church, you know that you know that there's witches going to churches that go there to cause problems. You know, you may not know they're witches, but they go there and and they do that. And uh, or I should say, Wiccans would probably be a better word. Which is kind of an old term, but um, well, anyway, um, what happened with uh, Timber Unity was uh, uh, some of the companies, uh, the logging companies, the trucker companies, and stuff, got involved with it. Um, and acted like they were really involved in getting this thing turned around, but they uh, turned around on Timber Unity and negotiated uh, kind of like a peace treaty with Kate Brown and uh, said that they uh, they were okay with it as long as it's implemented in the big cities and not anywhere else. Well, like I said uh, earlier, I was talking with you guys, um, 
they have it slated to where I think they're waiting for 19 counties to sign on. And there's a little clause in this thing. You know, they always tell you to look at the small writing, uh, the small print in any contract. And, um, and the reason, that's the reason we got Obamacare because nobody wanted to read it before they passed it. Mm-hmm. And as Nancy Pelosi once said, uh, we have to pass it so we can read it, which is totally bass backwards. But, um, anyway, um, so this little clause is, uh, as soon as the 19 counties sign on that, uh, the governor or, or the legislature is allowed to implement it on the whole state. So, um, anyway, uh, so one guy had, uh, posted on there about, uh, what's, what's going on. He said, um, now this is from the first cap and trade that they tried to pass last year. Um, and the cap and trade is nothing new because Obama tried to do it. Okay. Um, like I said, uh, that was when we got out of the Paris, uh, environmental accords. I can't remember what the name of it actually was at the time, but, uh, that all went, uh, down the drain. But, uh, um, it's, it's talked about the vote going down party lines. Uh, the GOP senators have left the state, which we already talked about. Um, the lack of quorum in the Senate, uh, enabled us so it didn't pass. Uh, rural Oregon is very much opposed to this bill, and that is why the GOP senators are from. Uh, let's see. Uh, in, uh, in Portland, Salem, and Eugene area uh, has a, by far the most populations. They elect Democrats. The rest of Oregon elect uh, Republicans or GOP. Uh, but being as those are outnumbered by the rest of the state, they get uh, laws passed that uh, everybody has to live with. Okay, the reason why rural Oregon is opposed to this bill is includes it's not limited to a dollar per gallon uh, raise in fuel tax on diesel fuel. Okay, and uh, no and no diesel powered engines older than 2007 will be allowed to be used. This means that pickups, trucks, tractors, and heavy equipment tractors in a very agricultural state, mind you. Um, and that would put the logging industry out of business. Uh, lots of farmers would have to shut down too. And, and what's the goal of uh, what's the goal of this 2020 thing? Is to get people into the cities, right? To get them out of the uh, the rural areas and into the cities where they can be contained. That's what my understanding is, right? Um, now this guy says, for me, I have a diesel pickup, two tractors that are all older than 2007. I don't know what I would. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I would do on the licensing uh, of the pickup. Uh, for the fuel, I can solve that easy enough. It's 30 miles to the nearest gas station in Oregon. Um, it's 50 miles to Idaho, and I have a 110-gallon gas tank. Anyway, um, so he was talking about how a lot of truckers aren't going to be able to afford going 400 miles each way to get fuel. Um, so anyway, um, move things around here. Um, what's good, this is what's going on in Oregon, and... Uh, like I said, she's uh, trying to ramrod it through. Now, back when cap and trade was trying to be, uh, Obama was trying to implement it, some very wise person, and I'm really just going to try to pick the highlights. I don't want to uh, commandeer the whole show. Um, uh, the reasons why cap and trade is a bad idea, and this was written for the national cap and trade. Um, it's uh, designed to increase the price uh, of 85% of the energy that we use in the United States. Um, let's see. Okay, I'll go down to the next point. Cap and trade schemes for carbon dioxide have not um, worked out to reduce emissions. This is interesting. Um, emissions, uh, Europe's emission trading scheme, uh, ETS, 
began in 2005. The first phase from 2005 to 2007 did not reduce carbon dioxide emission. Instead, overall emissions increased by 1.9% over that period. The reason is simple. European politicians know that cap-and-trade is economically harmful and do not want these policies to cost more jobs, especially during these difficult economic times. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, to my, much to my surprise, recently stated that she would not allow the EU, EU climate regulations to go forward that would that would take decisions that would endanger jobs and investments in Germany. Okay, my question is, if the Europeans get it, why can't the Americans? Um, we always seem to think that we can make things better because we're Americans, and that's not always the case. Um, Cap-and-trade will harm the poor, and, and he has a graph here showing that um, the percentages of, of how cap-and-trade would affect people. The lowest people would uh, have a 3.3% tax increase, uh, you know, the people that make the less, least money in, uh, in this, well, in this is the nation, I guess. Um, and as you go up, the highest people would, uh, highest, uh, the rich people, let's just say, would only have to pay 1.7%. Um, because it's 1.7% is nothing to them. Okay. 3.3 is a lot to people that are having a hard time putting food on the table to begin with. Um, it harms, uh, uh, energy security, um, I'm just I'm just uh, going over the um, the highlights here. Cap and trade for sulfur emissions is not is not comparable to cap and trade for carbon dioxide. Um, and this goes into a whole long thing too. I'm not going to go into. But then it has a graph that shows the the uh, the uh, oh, what is it? Uh, as a result, there is a strong correlation between energy use and economic prosperity. Uh, okay, so the graph shows uh, economic prosperity um, over cap over uh, energy use. The United States, of course, is all the way up at the top. We produce more, and um, China is down at the bottom. In other words, uh, China produces a lot, but they of carbon dioxide, but they don't really produce that much income. Which, when you think about it, they're a communist state, right? Um, and then India is down there too, Iran and things like that. So. Uh, it's, it's a bad deal money-wise. Uh, domestic cap-and-trade program, even in the best case, only produce marginal impacts on the climate. And, again, it goes into talk about uh, the percentage of CO2 emissions. Uh, not surprising, China is up there at 100%. India is uh, down there at 40%. The United States and Russia, I don't know if I would I would say maybe the uh, Russia was at uh, uh, 10%. And the United States is probably at 2%, according to this graph. So for all that we manufacture, you know, we we don't make as much carbon dioxide or send it into the atmosphere as these other countries do. And when you think about it, since we're really, they tell us we're the last superpower and we're the most prosperous nation on Earth, who to go, who to go after, you know, if, if you were trying to tax people, who would you go after? You'd go after the most prosperous, right? That isn't a communist manifesto, tax people to death. Um, so um, anyway, um, yeah, that's enough of that document, I think. Um, you know, I told you that, and I don't know if I read this, that I read what the guy said about timber unity, that they're not responsible. Um, I don't know. I'll read it again just in case. Uh, like I said, we have this timber unity um, and how the uh, some of the corporations have kind of taken it over and away from the people that started it. 
although they've been called out for who they are, and I don't think that's going to happen anymore. But he's basically saying, hey, we had nothing to do with this. It was the, the mills and stuff that went and made deals with the governor, not us. So don't hold us responsible. And we're going to fight this and try to take it away from uh, – uh, I don't know if you read, but we had a um, convoy. I think it was 10,000 truckers all went up to Salem last week, last Thursday, and uh, just drove around the block around where the Capitol building is for five or six hours just in protest. And, uh, and it was heard. Now, there's um, – um, it says timber unity to legislators were fed up and there's this Hispanic gal. Her name is, uh, mean larches. So I, uh, okay. Enlarged the wrong one. Let me go back here. Okay. I won't enlarge it. <laughs> uh, it says Angelina Sanchez's message was loud and clear when she spoke about the renewed effort of Oregon legislature to pass a new cap and trade bill. We're fed up. She said the legislator is giving us a, false narratives so they can shove through this tax scam. Um, but there's no more room for these uh, new taxes. We've been working, 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 and there's no room to pinch anyone. So we're saying enough is enough. Um, let's see. Um, uh, they took the convoy, it says. And uh, she said, I thought last year's bill was bad. And it, and it was, but th- I think this year, this year's bill may be worse. Um, it says that the Cape Brown went, went met with rural residents, which I never heard of, um, and tried to convince them. And according to the text, once 19 counties have been brought into the cap and trade program, the legislation will then apply to the rest of Oregon. Okay, the reality it is, said Julie Parrish, another spokesperson, the reunity legislature is really saying, here's your first bite of the apple, then here's your next bite. So um, this is what communists do when they take over. Um, I, I was first introduced to this a few years ago in Eugene when I, we lived there. Yeah, I lived in Eugene, and I've repented of it. Um, so, But anyway, um, they they had this thing they wanted to put in. It was uh, It's called the Max Line or something, and it was uh, uh, a bus that drives all over Eugene. And uh, what they wanted to do is they wanted to put it down certain roads that were already um, – crammed with traffic, and, and to take one lane from each side to put the bus there. Well, everybody was opposed against it. So what did they do? They didn't care. They didn't put it up for a referendum. They just went ahead and did it anyway. And uh, that's been happening a lot here, and I don't know about where you guys live, but uh, um, if they don't get their plans, what they do is they just write executive orders or they just ignore the rule of the people and do whatever darn well they please, you know, and um, and that's not that's not a democracy. That's not a constitutional republic. That is a, a socialist republic, if not a uh, a communist republic. And uh, so, uh, and the last thing I wanted to just uh, okay. And it, this is this is kind of really alarming. If the other stuff wasn't to you, um, and this is uh, again from Timber Unity, and it's somebody that posted uh, named Carl uh, Cole Rainey. Uh, since he posted it in a public forum, I don't think that he's going to mind me saying it on the radio. He said, urgent message on SB 1530, cap and trade, please read, cap and trade sells out Oregon to China. Cap and trade, uh, SB 1530, will allow foreign companies to buy Oregon carbon credits, meaning that Cape Brown's recent trip to Asia has culminated into a climate law trade deal, trading Oregonians' futures for Asian markets 
Asian markets asset accumulation. Cap and trade is actually treason. Cape Brown is literally selling Oregon out to China, who currently has a track record of violating human rights and, and promoting mindless state worship. Cape Brown will have to have us all buying carbon credits secondhand from international tax-exempt companies. This uh, BS, I'm not going to say that word, is uh, beyond treason, and this is an attack on our children's destiny. Kate Brown is selling Oregon out to the communist. I personally am beyond disgusted by all the call and arrogance of this woman. This is like a legal Uranium One. As a matter of fact, the same company could buy Oregon carbon credits and flip them over to Oregon's, Oregonians in this new market. Disgusting abuse of power and truly what globalism what globalism is. Globalism is cancer. It has infected Oregon, Oregon's politics uh, and will result in foreign entities controlling Oregonians' uh, economic destiny. God needs to step in and influence A.G. Barr um, to do something in Oregon. It's time for to drop some charges. Uh, this is um, this is illegal and qualifies as treason. Cap and trade is treason. So anyway, um, I just wanted to share this with you and the audience so that you know if it's happening here, it's going to start happening everywhere. Uh, California implemented it uh, several years ago. Cap and trade. And look where California is. It's a bankrupt uh, communist republic, basically. Um, you know, they're, they're constantly raising taxes for everything now there because they cannot meet the obligations. And uh, so look at California, look at Oregon, and then, my goodness, if you live in a different state, you know, than where we're at here, start fighting it before it gets <laughs> it gets this, uh, this complicated. And, uh, and please do something about it. But, but most of all, we need to pray um, because... What Mr. Trump is doing in Washington, um, I think, is going to have a ripple effect throughout the, all, the whole nation. Well, the fact that there is a timber unity is a fact that that's true. But um, we need to uh, pray that the, the, the works of darkness and wickedness that are trying to take this country away from us. Um, globalism it has failed on the national level uh, for the most part. Um, thank, thank you, Lord, for um, President Trump, who is... Um, fighting this tooth and nail. Um, but it's, it's, what it does is, um, if you can't get somebody from a frontal attack, you go around the back. And that's what they're doing. Now they're, they're going after the states because if they can get enough states to swing over, they can change things in the country. And, um, we gotta, we gotta fight this battle against this, these people, of course, with prayer first and, and asking for, um, for, uh, the Lord to give us, uh, divine discernment as to what to do. Uh, but at the same time, we can't sit idly by because God did give us uh, a commission to be civilly minded, uh, to take care of our neighbors, to love our neighbors until we're told to love our children and our parents and grandparents and stuff. And part of that is, is uh, keeping these things from happening or trying to anyway, you know, and eventually this is all going to pass, but I would like to see my, my, children and grandchildren live in a decently um, or reasonably decent uh, world before all this comes to, to fruition. So anyway, I, I'm ending my diatribe and uh, I, I, I send my motion to the floor, gentlemen. What do you think? You know, one of the things you said was that even though this is Oregon, it seems like a rather 
obscure place, a little event happening. But I agree with you totally that the the implications, the ramifications of what happened there can influence the rest of the states state by state. I don't know, if, uh, Dave, if you remember this back when I lived in uh, Roswell. They had a test program, a law passed, and I was actually against it, even though I'm all for the idea. And what they tested in Roswell was that they were overruling and superseding your legal right as a private establishment to allow smoking. Right. Now, I'm against it. You know, I don't I hate going into a place where it's all filled with smoke, but I did not like and could not agree with the precedents that they were doing this under. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I own my own business government. You keep the heck out of your you get your fingers out of my business. You cannot tell me what I can or cannot do. It's my business. Right. And I and I still stand on that. And yet, yeah, I- I find that a little bit interesting, Jim, because um, we had the same thing. They banned smoking uh, across the entire state, South Dakota. But the thing is, most uh, restaurants had already banned it of their own accord. Right. Um, and there were some that allowed it and some, but the vast majority did right. on their, of their own accord, decided not to have it. So you have the choice to go where you want. Exactly. And that's the way it should be. It should yes. stay that way because you you have your rights as an independent landowner, business owner to control it the way you want without the government coming in and telling you how you got to do it. And now, uh, what year was that, Eric, that they did that? Do you remember? Oh, boy. Um, I cannot tell you. It's got to be within the last yeah, maybe it's been more than five years. I, I couldn't tell you. I had to go look it up. Okay, well, the, what we're talking about, believe it or not, in Roswell, New Mexico, was the first, and that was in 2004. 2004, they had addressed this issue, and they denied anyone uh, their business rights, property rights, of allowing them to be able to smoke. This was completely banned. If you owned any kind of business, it didn't matter what it was, no smoking is allowed anymore in a public opened facility. I was dead set against that. I mean, I hate smoke. I mean, you know, I'm one that used to smoke three packs of cools a day. So why would all of a sudden I be so anti? Because I know how damaging and destroying it can be. Right. And and I'm against it. But I'm further against the compromising of the Constitution of the United States. It wasn't right. It wasn't right then. It's not right now. Um, and like you said, Eric, it, it, if if you allow property owners to make their own choice, you have to, to me, without compromising the Constitution of the United States, you have to go with that. Then you have a choice. You know, come on, be a big boy and not a little whiny baby. Well, uh, the, cu- the customers know. will dictate the policy, yeah, exactly. the reality. And exactly. so the vast majority of businesses are already doing it of their own accord because people don't want to go out to eat and have smoke. And right. it and was so, already doing it on its own without even any legislation at all. So, And those that insist that, well, no, we want smoke, well, they're going to attract all the smokers then. And they will have a place where smokers can go and, and just smoke. 
So, I mean, I have no problem with that. Have place, you know, it's the individual right of the business owner, the property owner to do what they want to do without the government interference. That is what I'm adamant about. And that is the way it should have remained. Then you're going to have a clear separation. Okay. So, so what? Oh, that's a horrible division, smokers versus non-smokers. No, it isn't. It's still there. Um, you know, we don't allow smoking in, in, uh, churches or in, uh, um, even in our, even, in the ministry that I work with, with the homeless, um, you go outside and there's a smoke section right there. They're outside smoking. Right. We're not going to allow it inside the building. We never will. Right. Um, I think it's very generous of them to even allow them to stand out in the front or in the back and smoke. But if they want to freeze their butts off in the middle of winter and 30 below to zero weather and have that smoke, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> knock yourself <that's> out. Right. <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to let us enjoy the, the joy of your, uh, addiction mm-hmm. in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's it's free choice, but never to compromise the Constitution of the United States. And yet in 2003, that little test in Roswell has impacted and reflected the entire national policy now. Yeah. And I'm dead set against it. It's wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 a chipping away. And that's that's what they do. That's they it is in little Little things that seem, you know, on a global basis, rather trivial, mm-hmm. but it's not. You know, if you if you're driving behind a gravel truck and he chucks a rock and hits your windshield, yes, it's going to make a little um, pinpoint, you know, mark on your windshield. Hopefully, that's all it'll make. But that's just a start. <laughs> and that thing it starts to grow a little by little. Um, in the older cars, remember they were so tight that if you didn't have the vent open. Um, you know, and on a hot day, you parked your car with the windows up, it would actually pop the windshield. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, and, and, you know, and if, if you wanted to, you know, you could go in there and just hit that crack and that whole windshield would crack. But anyway, um, so they chip away. There was an, a cartoon in a, some creationist book I had years ago. I've got it around here somewhere where it had two castles and they were fighting each other. And the one castle, the um, we'll call it the liberal castle, you know, they had uh, little balloons flying. And one of the balloons said, you know, pro-abortion. The other one said pro-homosexuality, you know. And what the, what the well, we'll say the Christian castle was doing is it was firing shots off to pop the balloons, you know. And the, the balloons are just an ideal. They're, they're the result of, uh, of a sick society. But what the what the um, the the liberal uh, or ungodly castle was doing is they were firing down at the foundation of the uh, the Christian castle and trip and uh, and chipping it away. Uh, to, and if they kept doing it, of course, the castle's foundation would fail and the whole castle would fall. And and that's what they do. They they chip away at at, at things that um, might seem a little insignificant. Now. Um, about three or four years ago up here in Oregon, up in Portland, uh, you probably read it because it made national news, but there was a bakery that would not bake a cake for a, uh, a gay wedding. Right. Yeah. And, uh, boy, those people went through hell. Um, you know, they were called, you know, bigots and homophobes and everything else. It was taken to court and the opposing side won. Uh, they had to close their business. They had to pay restitution. Um, thank God a lot of people stepped up and helped them with that. But, um, you know, so the thing is that, you know, those, the, the gay couple that wanted that, 
well, let's just call them homosexuals. That's what they are. Gay, is, gay means happy and, and carefree. Um, so the homosexuals, they, um, they, they chipped away a little bit and, uh, and set a precedence, you know. So now what, what follows after that? Okay, well, the, the Christians didn't want to participate in it because that's what they would be doing. If they made the cake, they, were, they would be participating in the ceremony. You know, and it would be akin to, to t- forcefully taking them and making them sit through the ceremony, in my eyes anyway, um, because you're forcing them to participate. And uh, so what comes after that? Okay, so, you know, you got the baker to participate. Um, what, what's to stop them from all of a sudden coming up to a pastor and saying, we want you to perform a wedding ceremony for us? Pastor says, I don't believe in the way you, you believe. I don't want to perform. Well, you're a bigot, and we're going to take you to court. You know? And if you live in a liberal state, the chances are that they're going to win. You know? And so, again, they're, they're chipping, they chip away first at the, at the, uh, the wedding cake, and they saw they could do that, and, and then they're going to go after a bigger prize every time. And the Muslims do it, too. You know, um, when they're a minority in a country, Muslims stay quiet. They're good citizens. They don't bother anybody. But as their population grows, they start to get more and more um, politically minded. I mean, my goodness, um, who would have thought that, uh, what was it, seven, six years after 9-11, we would have elected a Muslim president? You know? Um right. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, un, it's unfathomable that people would have done it. And of course, you know, he went in a, under a veil of a different, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I believe in the Christian Bible, you know, stuff like that. But no, you know. It, no, he had to be reminded by Stephanopoulos. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. So if you got a middle name of Hussein, it's pretty, yeah, yeah, it's pretty clear that, you know, that you're a Muslim. And, and now, okay, so he got in, he's out. And then all of a sudden there's what, two or three, Representatives from different states. I think one of them is uh, Talib's from your state. Uh, then there's Somali girl from uh, from Minnesota, and there's uh, some somebody said that uh, in the coming election, I think there's something like uh, 40 different Muslims that are running for public office. You know, you know where they're where they're infiltrating the best is through hospitals, through prison systems, uh, and through local community uh, councils. This is where they're making their most best effective uh, impact in government, right. and we're seeing we're seeing this especially in Detroit uh, metropolitan area. Dearborn has the largest population of Muslims outside of the Middle East, uh-huh. uh, the most in the North American continent. Um, believe me, living in uh, Dearborn Heights, I know the system, I know the plot, I know the plan. It has gotten to the point now where um, Christian clerics have to annually um, update their credentials, and it's getting harder for them to be able to share the gospel. They can no longer, uh, some of the new rules within our prison systems, they can no longer have one-on-one counseling sessions with um, individuals. They go into a prison, they can talk to a large crowd, and then they're forbidden, forbidden by law, to talk to anyone on a one-on-one basis. So that means they cannot evangelize uh, or or uh, perpetuate any kind of personal counseling or, or help to an individual that, let's say they raise their hand, they get saved in a crowd. They cannot be followed up upon 
by the minister. They're forbidden to do so. Right. Um, so many different things. Uh, diversity classes that have to be taken by um, by naturalized citizens to accept and accommodate Islam, uh-huh. but no diversity classes for Islam to acclimate themselves into American culture and society. Right. All one-sided. It's ridiculous. They're using their our own freedom of speech and laws of liberty against us. And it just it, it does it in little tiny tidbits that doesn't seem like it's significant. If you have a city council, it doesn't seem that all of a sudden now have five members that are uh, is Muslims. It doesn't seem to the average American that that should be threatening. It's very threatening because all of a sudden your city and everything is going to be turned inside out, upside down. We're going to be following Sharia law, which page one. Uh, 358, I think, of the uh, Obama law care. People that are listening right now, do you realize one of the reasons why they are trying to put a dead end, what Trump is trying to finally put a dead end, last breath to Obamacare, is as long as Obamacare is in motion and active, we the people, the um, taxpaying public, pay for every Muslim's insurance. It's there. It's there on page 365. I think it is somewhere in that area. There is a provision on your demitude that Muslims believe that insurance is gambling and gambling is forbidden by a Muslim. Therefore, under the provisions of demitude, we are going to provide them with their insurance that they don't sin against their God and give them the religious freedom. Demutude, are you kidding me? That's under Sharia law. We're under Sharia law now. If you accept Obamacare, we are under Sharia law. Yes, yes. Demutude, what it literally means is when a nation that is under or occupied by Islamic Sharia law, Demutude basically says, we will allow you to exist without accepting Allah as your God, but you have to pay tribute to us every year for our gracious ability to allow you to stay alive and not accept um, Allah as your God. So you pay us tribute. So the tribute that we're paying under Sharia law is providing them with this insurance. That is baloney. We are not under Sharia law. We are not under um, Islamic rule. But, oh, yeah, I guess we are, aren't we? Because we had to hurry up and pass this so that we could find out what's in it. According to Pelosi, Pelosi, I don't, you know, that woman, I would not want to be in her shoes. You know, to me, there, this world is out of control. We're headed for a reset. So many people don't believe this reset is, you know, some crazy talk that this crazy little old man in, in uh, Detroit is talking about. You know, Mark Tyler spoke about it. Kim Clement spoke about it. Many other people spoke about it. Uh, we're getting a reset because this world is out of control. So out of control, God is going to reset everything. And this insanity is going to stop. And like him or not, Trump is the one that's going to be used to put a stop to it. Um, I I can't wait because this is just this is just running crazy. I do not want to pay. I mean, I'm going to get on a bunny trail, so I better not. I'm just going to stop right there, right now. Um, thank God that the Lord is in control. He sees what's going on, and he is in control. He's never been not in control. And he's saying, okay, enough is enough. 
I am no longer going to allow a gray shaded area of compromise. And you, all you that have compromise can't hide in this gray shaded area anymore. I am making a clear separation, resetting this world. You're either on one camp or the other camp. There's going to be nothing else in between. So I'm looking forward to this time. Um, there's going to be many changes. I personally, I think by the end of next year, you know, everybody's saying, if the Democrats win, this is going to happen. If I get so much stuff from the left and the right, and it's all fear mongering. It's all, you know, getting, uh, trying to get us um, either angry or fearful of possibilities. The one thing that, that is always clear, have you ever heard anytime, anywhere, Jesus ever say, what if? No. Because he doesn't. No. Because he deals with absolutes, not what if. If you, audience, if you ever hear what if this, what if that, there's only one person that ever said that. Yeah. And that was Satan. Mm-hmm. It comes from the enemy. What if? Did God really what if? say? Yeah, exactly. So when you hear what if, you got to recognize where that's coming from. It's not coming from God. God says, thus saith the Lord. This is, he speaks in absolutes. He speaks the future as if it was already passed. Why? Because where he is, it's already passed. There's no arm wrestling going on up in heaven. There's no undetermined end. I peaked. I cheated. I looked at Revelation 9, 19th chapter. If we're putting our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we win. They lose. We are studying the effects of losers. So why are we fearful? Why are we angry? Why do we let even the left and the right? Man, the swamp is so bad. I mean, it's it's all, you know, they're, they're playing us in the middle. Um <clears throat> Left wing or right wing? How do you want your socialism? Do you want a national socialism or communist socialism? Because you're going to get socialism crammed down your throat one way or the other. Right. And kids, you know, you think Bernie, Uncle Bernie's just this wonderful, great guy and socialism is new answer and a new hope. <laughs> it never worked in the past. And I'm talking past all the way back to the time of Jesus, all the way back to the time of Moses. It never worked then and it'll never work now. It never has. It never will. You need a wake up call, especially if you are a Christian and you're supporting socialism. You're supporting Bernie. Get your heads out of your rear orifice, please. You don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea the evils. Go down to Venezuela and ask them one time a, a, a very prosperous, industrious nation. That as soon as it embraced socialism, now it is is even resorting to cannibalism. Cannibalism. I mean, just they they are nothing. They have are destroyed from within, and the joys of socialism is what did it to them. Right. Um, kids, wake up before it's too late. Especially if you're Christian. If you're Christian, you've got to start having some respect for your some of your elders, and don't blame them that everything is in this mess because of them. You've been given newspeak. You've been given a definition of corporate fascism as being um, capitalism, and it's not. You don't even know what capitalism is. Heck, anybody under 50 doesn't know what capitalism is because they're, it was dead and over before they were even in the job market, probably. Yeah. Because that died in the early 70s. Yeah. It's sad, but it, it's not, you know, it's not there. So, you know, this, what, what goes no, go around comes around. What goes around comes around, too. You know, I've run into more <laughs> kids that uh well you know uh what gen xers i guess you would call them um you know the next generation from us jim and i've run into more of them that grew up under hippie parents and despise that lifestyle 
you know, <laughs> yeah, they do. Well, they, you know, they, they, that's they're, a good they're, thing. They're hardworking people. They go out. To, I mean, I'm talking about the Gen Xers. Are hardworking mm-hmm. people. They go out and work hard for their living. They, um, you know, they saw what what all the hippies brought. You know, all the garbage that that came from that from that movement and stuff like that. Um, yes, everybody wants peace, love, and joy. But you know, let's be realistic. We're not living in a world that's conducive to that. You know, it's yeah. uh, this world is uh, run by a, a guy who Jesus said came to steal, kill, and destroy like a roaring lion. You know. And that's what this world's all about. You know, you can try to implement that. And, and on your own, you'll never do it. You can through the love of Jesus. You know, in the Christian community, that can happen and, and does happen quite often. Um, but, um, you know, outside of that, you know, you, you can walk through the motions and everything else, but it's never really going to happen. And so, you know, all these, these kids that are running around nowadays disrespecting their parents and stuff like that. Well, you know, they're going to have kids someday, you know. They really are. And when they have those kids, those kids are going to uh, probably rebel against them because it seems like the kids always rebel against their parents um, until they get to a certain age anyway. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've talked with you in it, to an, an extent where I think I can, you know, use you along with my example. But, you know, when I was a kid, I I didn't like hanging around with kids my age. I, I hung out more with adults because I always thought that I could learn from them. You know, um, I... I We'd go walking uh, down, there was a, a, town, a street called Mozart Street in my hometown, and it's where all the Italians lived, you know, and they'd all congregate in front of this uh, particular little Italian market. And, you know, I used to go there um, when I was a teenager, and I'd sit there and I'd listen to them talk. They'd talk about the old ways, the good ways, you know, and how this younger generation is rebelling and, you know, that they can't understand why and, and things like that. And I was kind of like an enigma to them because I was standing there listening and not challenging what they were talking about. You know, I took it all in because uh, my dad taught me from a very young age that, um, you know, a wise man learns from his mistakes, but an even wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. Mm-hmm. And I figured if I could listen to how these guys made the mistakes, I won't make that same mistake. And, I, you know, maybe I'll avert some some heartache in my life and won't have to go through uh, what what they had to go through. And that's what life is all about. It's listening to your elders and not making the same mistakes they did. Because you, you reach a certain age, you reach an age like 35 or so maybe, where you start realizing that your parents weren't wrong. You know? Right. That they yeah, you get a little bit of wisdom yourself, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you take that on to yourself, like you said, and and then, uh, and then as you grow, you, you realize that your parents weren't the monsters that, that you thought they were when you were younger. You know, that dad had wisdom, that mom was loving and, and things like that. And that anything that was said wasn't said out of uh, trying to hurt me, but trying to keep my bacon out of the fire, so to speak. And um, it would just be nice if uh, the, this younger generation would learn that, you know, instead of going down and breaking windows and setting cars on fire. And, and I know they don't all do that. There's a lot of good people in uh, in the millennial generation. I work with several of them, and they're they're hardworking, decent people, you know. But uh, they're they're the minority of uh, the minority the yeah the minority of the of the generation. Of the generation. Well, there, there's, you know, an entire generation was conditioned in the 30s, and now an entire generation again is conditioned in the, I would say probably beginning of the 90s, but you know, completed now in through the millennials or what I call the even younger 
than the millennials are the Omega generation, the last, because I don't see how anything can come past the last. And it's just a, it's a digression of being trained up in the ways you should go. And when you're old, you should not depart. Well, that's kind of an important process. So that the enemy has made sure that he's corrupted the educational system, our thinking process. Um, we've been dumbed down more and more and more so that there's such a stack of cards decked against the younger generations because they're not been taught what you and I have learned, you know, in, in our day, there's been a digression to that. Even, uh, with common core mathematics, <clears throat> it's not even a logical process. Now it's the most illogical process that a person could ever come up with. And this is what's prevented, um, simple understandings of things like, <laughs> I won't get into it. Is it a round earth or a flat earth? <laughs> Some other things, you know, that are just totally outrageously ridiculous. Right. And it's no wonder if you don't accept the truth, you're going to believe a lie. And so, you know, one thing that I find amazing, and it's probably another indication that we are at the end of the end times, I see when these Millennials, Gen X, when they do come to Christ, man, it's like rapid growth. They get so many concepts and ideas and understandings because they have been brainwashed to believe the wrong thing. Now that they become a Christian, they understand and grasp scripture faster than, than I've seen any generation do before. And it's just like a rapid growth. So it's, you know, where sin abounds, grace is greater. That's why even in, in Muslims where some of the young kids are are born and raised to strap a bomb on themselves to sacrifice themselves for Allah or to uh, invade an enemy that they don't even really know what they've been taught and bred that that's their enemy. And so that's exactly what their single focus and purpose is. God is actually personally coming to them and talking to them. Well, you know, we could look as Christian, American Christian, we go, well, God's never done that to me. How come they get to, how come they get that? Because they have been programmed since birth. The deck is so stacked against them. They have no other choice. God in his mercy is reaching out to those that he can and knows who will respond so that they will respond. Um, where mm -hmm. sin abounds, grace is greater. So we have to appreciate that God's arm is never too short to reach to the uttermost to reach everybody. Um, I was trying to convey this to someone just the other day, and it's like, you know, they just were not getting it. Well, what if this? What if that? I said, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, what if? Let me tell you about what if. And I gave him a little discussion on that. It was very quiet after that. Um, Wednesday at Tim Hortons, we have a um, <laughs> Tim Hortons coffee house. Um, we have services there. The staff encourages it. They welcome it. The management enjoys it and allows it. And um, it's been absolutely amazing. What a harvest ground it's been. Some of the deepest um, conversations come from, evolved from, from Tim Horton's fellowship. And uh, there was a, two guys there. They were in their 80s. And one of them is a very simple man, um, very energetic, very full of, of the joy of God, but a very simple man. Um, I think he only has, I don't even think he's got a degree, uh, a degree. I mean, he doesn't even have a, a high school diploma, but he loves the Lord. He's very faithful. He's very consistent. He's full of uh, the joy. Now, 
I was telling some of the younger ones, I said, now I'm 68. You know, I've, I've got a degree and, and a, a wide variety of backgrounds of, of, of education and, and knowledge and wisdom. I said, but that man over there, he's, he's, um, 80, 80 years old. I said, you know, he's got 12 years experience at being my age, 68. I said, uh, you guys, everybody here that works in a profession or in a, a skilled trade, when you first started out and 12 years later, you learned a lot in that 12 years, right? Regardless of your education or background or anything, you learned a lot and got a lot sharper and a lot better with 12 years experience. They all agreed. They all, everybody's nodding their heads. I said, so for me at 68, I have not arrived at some place where I can't learn from somebody that has 12 years experience of being 68. I need to listen to them. They have wisdom. They have 12 years experience of being my age. I need to listen to what they have. I don't care whether they have no degree or not. I don't care what our educational things are. The fact is, if this guy has got anything on the ball at all, he has 12 years experience at being 68. I need to listen and consider what he has to say. I need to draw, if I have wisdom, I'm going to draw from his wisdom so that he can show me how good it's gotten being 68 for 12 years. Right. And the other guy is the same, you know, the same thing. And I said, that's the way you need to treat your elders. That is not how you have been taught. You've been taught that our, that your elders are the responsible ones for the reason why the world is in such a mess because they didn't get it right. And I said, that's not true. That's going back to the what ifs. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, that, that, um, you know, we can glean a lot regardless of who, what the person has done or is doing in their life. The fact is that they have lived their lives at whatever age level you are, multiply that and, and appreciate that for what it is. And uh, they got it. They understood it. It was really cool. I, I really was was happy with uh, how I shared that. And that's the way we all need to look at it in that sense, that where the Bible tells us to respect our elders, not only for the age difference, but also for the positional difference. If you're a, a pastor or a leader, you've had to and, and you have a fruitful ministry. The fruit is there because you made a lot of mistakes and you learn from your mistakes. God resists the prideful and gives grace to the humble. And anybody that understands anything at all realizes that you need all the grace you can get. So humility is not a decision based on emotion. It's it's a decision based on the pragmatic idea that, hey, I need all the grace I can get, so i got to be humble. Whether I want to be or not, I have no choice. I have to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's understanding these things of basically getting ourselves out of the way so that God can do through us what we're not capable of doing on our own. Right. Right. You know, there's, there's a promise in in scripture that if you, um, that if you um, love your parents, honor them, yes, you'll have a long life and that uh, it'll be prosperous. Now um, I'm going to use an example here. Um, uh, well, first, remember, remember John Kennedy said, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Right. Well, you could turn that around to be, ask not what your parents or grandparents can do for you, but what you can do for your grandparents, your elders, or whatever you, term you want to use, you know? Um, and the story goes like this. I, I met this young man and, 
it's like this, the cards are stacked against him right from the beginning, you know. Um, he did. I don't think he ever met his father. Um, he had a mother who decided uh, when he was younger that she was going to become a lesbian. And um, when he became, um, I don't know if he was prepubescent or if he was had just, you know, started to go through or had been through puberty. His, uh, she met somebody and she says, okay, uh, this person's moving in, you're moving out. He was thrown out on the street. He, uh, he went to live with a gentleman who was homosexual and thus he started taking on those attributes. Um, so he, he committed some crimes and was incarcerated and, and, uh, I'm going to tell you, you know, if, if anybody had a reason to hate their parent, that kid did, okay? He had a bona fide reason not to have anything to do with his mother ever again, but um, he would send her money all the time. You know, he because of his illness, he was getting, you know, SSI and stuff like that, and um, he was always sending money to his, his, his mother, and it was like, you know, and I met the gal. She's pretty rough around the edges, um, but he... He support her, and people are like, well, you know, you're sending her money. She's probably going to use it for drugs and stuff like that. And he says, I don't care. She's my mother, and I have to help her, you know? And I'm like, wow, man, you know, you don't see this out, you know, outside of the institution. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You know, this guy, you know, had every reason to hate his mother, but he didn't and kept sending her money to try to support her. And after a while, you know, she would come to start visiting him and stuff like that. And it was, it was kind of really neat to watch. And, man, you know. I got a I got a psychiatric patient that can get it, but people on the outside for some reason just can't get it, um, and I don't know you know why I, I really don't you know. But um, when I was um, growing up, you know, my I was always taught you know you respect your elders, and I know you guys were brought up the same way, you know. So I never, you know, I I think it's my personality type. I just feel. Like, you know, not to ask for things, you know. My dad knew that, and so he would kind of watch me, and if I needed something, he would offer, you know. Not often, <laughs> but he did. Um, amusing little story here. We got a little bit of time, I guess. Um, when I was injured in my, my pipe fitting profession, I, I had to leave work, and I worked for, uh, out of a union, and I had something called a defined contribution, which basically was a... Um, uh, an, an add-on, um, uh, what do you call it, benefit that you would just put money away and the union would hold it for you and invest it. Um, well, I couldn't work anymore, so I turned I turned to them and I said, I need that money. And I got out of the union and they gave it to me. And um, Well, you know, you owe taxes on that because if you're under 59 and a half, that's considered income. Plus, they, they usually get you for 10%. Uh, the government does because you take it out early. Anyway... Uh, so, you know, the IRS was sending me letters, you know, oh, well, you're going to owe this. And, you know, and the letters kept coming more. Well, I, I told my dad about it, you know, and that's all I did is I told him about it and asked for advice. So my dad was when he would hit the law library and uh, he hated the IRS. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, the IRS was public entity number one with him. And uh, so he would go to the law library and get their their books, you know, the IRS books, and look up their statutes. And so he prepared all this paperwork one day, 
And uh, so it was my turn to go down to the IRS and try to bargain with them to, to leave me alone for a little while until I got back on my feet. So I went up, and Dad was standing right next to me, and the, the guy goes, well, you know, I understand your situation, but you're, this is going to continue to accrue penalties. And my dad handed me the paper, and I said, you can't do that. So I handed the guy the paper, and he read it. And he goes, okay, well, well, you're still going to have to pay interest. And my dad handed me another piece of paper, and I says, you can't do that. You know, and he looked at it. And there was a couple other things that he said that I handed him paperwork with. And and he looks at us and he goes, you guys aren't tax rebels, are you? And I said, no, we're just a normal American citizen that believe in our rights. You know, and he goes, I got to go talk to my supervisor. So he went back and talked to his supervisor. And uh, he came back and he said, well, my supervisor says that everything you've shown me is correct. So we're just going to put off the debt for right now. And, you know, when you get back on your feet, we'll talk about it again, you know. And I go, that sounds fair, you know. So, you know, I shook the guy's hand and we walked out. My dad says, when we get back to your house, I've got my checkbook and I'm going to write you out a check for this. He says, I just wanted to jerk their chain. You know, you could, you're going to pay them right now, but I just wanted to jerk their chain and really get them upset. So, um, now I didn't ask him, you know, to help me out with the money. I just wanted some advice, but, you know, he offered the money anyway, you know, out of the goodness of his heart and his love for his son. And and I was really blessed by that. And I tell you, I've been po- pulled out of more situations by, you know, my mo- my mother's the same way. She's a giver, you know. And I don't walk right right up and say, you know, hey, I, I need this. You know, I just present her with the, the situation. And she's she'll call me back a couple of days later, sometimes the same day, you know. And if things are really pressing, she'll say, you know, I got a little extra money. I'll just send it to you, and, you know, as a gift. And you can use it to pay this off or pay that off, or I know you need a new new chair or whatever. You know, that, that's just a, an example. Um, but anyway, it's it's always been hard for me because I knew my parents were always strapped when they were younger. You know, they, my dad was out of work a lot because he, I, that was my dad. That's all I'm going to say. Um, you know, and so we had to struggle a lot. You know, at Christmas time, my mother had to try to, find a way to finagle to get us gifts and and things like that. So I knew that, you know, they I didn't come from a family that had a lot of means. And so just asking for stuff was like, I, I, I'm not going to do it, you know. But they knew. They always knew that when, you know, I, I had a need, you know, that some, something. My dad always said, he said, you know, we've been very blessed because even before we knew the Lord, he said, it's like things just got taken care of. You know, he said it was like the Lord was watching out for us. He was suggesting that the Lord knew that we were called and that he was going to take care of us no matter what happened. And I do believe that, you know, Mm. he takes care of his own even before we are his own (laughs) because he knows that we're going to be his own. Um, So it's just so when I, you know, when you tell me stories about or I hear stories about, you know, Things going the other way, it just makes me question things. You know, it's like, where have we gone wrong? You know, or have we gone wrong? And it's just a mm-hmm. generation thing or whatever. You know, it's just, um, so anyway, I just wanted to, to throw that in. You know, the Lord, if, you, if you're destined to be the Lord, he's going to take care of you no matter what. But um, personally, you know, I, I have a hard time asking. And, uh, and maybe that's a, a character flaw because the Lord says you have not because you ask not. 
you know. And um, yep. But uh, anyway, I I just wanted to throw that in because I know that it's frustrating sometimes when you know the people are beating down your door. You know, hey, I need this, I need that stuff. And, and thankfully, you know that uh, the Lord has set us up here now to where we're able to do stuff for for people if they need it, and it's a blessing. It really is. But that's um, it's one maybe see people would say it's a character flaw, and, you know, I kind of see it as that. But um, in me, you know, that I have a hard time trying to um, dole it out, so to speak, you know. And, and he's chipping away at that little by little. He's, he's firing his cannons down at my foundation, you know, and um, that uh, that's a certain area in my life will fall someday. You know, and it's an area of the castle that doesn't need to be used. It's it's a a part of the castle that um, nobody lives in and stuff like that. And uh, if it goes away, then it's probably better. <laughs> but um, I think I, he's trying to take us all the next highest level and step. You know, in our right. in our faith, because you know the the excrement excrement is ready to hit the fan, and we right. got to be emotionally, spiritually. Um, physically ready for it and it's just part of the process man it's cool yeah so um anyway so uh in the area of cap and trade have you guys seen that in your state or is it leaning towards that way or what things seem to be somewhat quiet in our in our area that i know of anyway um yeah, they, there's been attempts and it's usually been shot down um, because of economic basis. You know, we've got, see, with us, so we've got multiple huge cities that uh, are dependent on um, industry. The majority of the country, uh, the majority of Michigan are rural. There's every, gosh, we've got all kinds. We've got We've got mineral mining. We've got um, the logging industry also. We have uh, farming, especially. Farming is huge in Michigan. Um, we're the providers of so many different kinds of crops. Monsanto has destroyed many of the crops. Of all things, believe it or not, Gerber baby food. Really? Yes. Um, one of the first things I was warned about uh, up north when I was wanting to try to reclaim uh, the 40 acres that my parents once had up, up north, they were saying, well, don't uh, don't get any property next door to uh, Gerber Baby Foods property. They're contaminating everybody with uh, with uh, Monsanto because Gerber Baby Food is is solely based on Monsanto uh, uh, Franken food oh, and uh, they're contaminating crops all over in Michigan. And uh, so, I, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, this is where. We have to realize, you know, that there is a rich elite that are in control of everything. This is right out of scripture. Kind of segues into the um, um, Agenda 21. I mean, there is an elite in Revelation 17, I think it's 13. There are 10 people who have received no power as of yet, but will have power as kings. For they, are, um, for they have, they are one with the beast. 
uh, I, I'm paraphrasing it horribly. I'm not getting it totally accurate. But basically, what it's telling you right then and there, there is an agenda of a rich elite that are in conspiracy with the God of this world. Now, in this, ten, uh, there's 10 people that receive no power yet, but will receive power as nations. Well, when you see that the United Nations reflects everything of the spirit of Antichrist, and the United Nations has carved out this entire world into 10 different sections. Mm -hmm. I don't think it takes a big leap to realize that what reward are these 10 people going to get for allowing the world to be carved out? They're going to be governors of one of the 10 sections. Right. So that talks about a globalist elite conspiracy. That is a conspiracy. They have one mind and one agenda. That's a conspiracy. So it's right there in the scriptures. So why does so many people find it so hard or impossible to think or believe that this conspiracy crosses both sides of the political spectrum? It crosses race. It crosses um, everything. Everything that we have been divided by, it crosses and influences everything. So Agenda 21, the Georgia Guidestones. You were there. You saw the Georgia Guidestones. It puts in what ten different languages. It yeah, talks it, mm -hmm. ten different languages. It tells us that a plan to eliminate nine and a half billion people. Uh, I'm sorry, um, seven and six and a half billion people. Well, their goal is to have five hundred million. Yeah, five hundred yep. million, right? Five hundred million. Yep. So, five hundred million they determine is a manageable. Uh, population for grunts that are going to do all the dirty work right. um, that they themselves won't want to do. And the rest will be eliminated uh, because, you know, whether you call it the carbon footprint, which is totally artificial, totally man-made, has totally insignificant re, um, data that is totally wrong and based on the wrong information. But like you, I had already said, you know, they perpetuate their own lies um, all you have to do is listen to Pelosi. Boy, she explained it out, how how they do things. Um, thank you, Pelosi. You made it so easy for us to understand your deceptive, godless ways that, that are being perpetrated. Um, so it's no wonder that Trump has to have his own security system outside of the, um, uh, the government service. system. Yeah, the Secret Service, because it's been infiltrated on every level. Um, he can't trust anyone because he's not been bought out. He's got nobody in his pocket. He had to step, take a step down in order to become president rather than a step up. Uh, I saw a meme one time. It says, I would, I would want to question the people that, that came into politics to represent we the people who lived on maybe 150,000 a year. And in their short terms, now are multimillionaires. Where did they get that money? They're a public servant. That's right. not even constitutional. I mean, it's just, um, it's outrageous. So, you know, the system, the government, left and right, it doesn't matter. You know, how do you want your socialism? You want national socialism or communist socialism? You're going to get socialism one way or the other, um, one extreme or the other. Uh, the swamp is deep. The swamp is 
affected on both sides. It's easy to see the other guy's infiltration, but it's hard maybe for some of us to see it in our own camp or what we consider our own camp. But the thing is, left or right, it doesn't matter. Um, they're both on the same part. It's like World Wrestling Federation. They're all part of one, one you know, big group, and uh, they're laughing. They're, you know, they're laughing at all of us, thinking that we actually have some kind of a choice in the matter when they think they've got it all figured out and all smoothed and and worked out. But again, I cheated. I looked at the back of the book, Revelation 19. Put our trust and faith in Jesus. We're safe. They're not. Um, any weapon formed against us. I love that part in Isaiah. It says that, that any weapon formed against us um, will not prosper. And this is the promise for those that put their trust in him. This is kind of one of those scriptures that is uh, a generalized one for everybody at all times, in any place, in any situation. This is a universal one that, that we can all have relying and, and trust on if we're putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So, you know, we don't have to worry about it. We just have to remember that God is totally in control. The leaders that we have have been appointed by God or allowed by God because it's reaping and sowing what we deserve. So, you know, when we had Obama, it's like I didn't call and hope that he would die in office or that we should uh, have a revolution and, and overthrow him or anything. I endured and put up with him because I realized, okay, this is what we deserve. So, you know, bite the bullet. Um, but look at how Trump is being treated. My God, I mean, they're coming right out and saying we got to end him. Him. The, I love uh, Bloomberg's uh, uh, distorted sick commercials. Yeah, yeah we got to exactly. we got to end him. You know, as if he's some kind of monster or something. He's done more to do uh, long lasting. You're nothing but a commie hiding under a falsehood. Uh, as if you actually know what the heck you're doing. Yeah, you know what you're doing. You're you're imposing communist socialism upon America and trying to make it paint it, you know, with a with a uh, what would I say? Like a, a like a, this is liberty and this is true. Uh, crossing the aisle and reconciling and bringing things together in a logical, rational manner. No logic or rationale to your things. All anybody has to do is watch, look at your uh, history and what you believe in and what you're associated with. You're a communist. You want to destroy this nation. You do not want to make this nation a free enterprise system. You want to destroy that. Everything that made this nation great, you want to destroy. Um, and people are so gullible enough to they, they believe this crap. Why? Because it was on CNN, because it was on, you know, whatever. And, and so it's got to be true. No, it doesn't have to be true. It's not true. So I don't know. You know, I, I kind of personally think that in this reset <laughs> and, you know, hey, I may eat crow. I don't think I will, though. But I would say that let's let's have this discussion around um, just before Election Day, maybe on November. I don't honestly, guys, I don't think there's going to be a Democratic party left to have a vote in the 2020 election most well, of them are going to be guests at gitmo they're going well, to be guests at gitmo or they're going to be at um in um leavenworth yeah. penitentiary yeah eric for their yeah. crimes you were going to say something go ahead no you no, were going to say something eric i heard you well i agree with jim um Something's going to happen where Kim 
uh, Kim Clement echoed this, that he was, he was startled uh, for what he saw. He saw that there was no two parties anymore. They were, they were all one. Huh. So what would it take to make everybody one? Well, you get, the question. Of one, you get rid of one, so there's only one, or you, or they all band together to become one because of some external threat. Right. right. And, well, and the thing is that that's a scary thought because mm-hmm. every dictatorship has always eliminated things that are reduced down to one party, and that's when you know you've lost all your freedoms. So this is going to look have the appearance of being that, but it's actually not. It's actually going to be some kind of blending or merging because there's an agreement, a common agreement across both fences. But when you have the Democratic Party is, you know, there was a day you can remember. There was a day at the end of the day after an election, there was a mutual agreement that, okay, you know what, we want the same things. We just believe in a different way of getting there, but we ultimately want the same thing. So the Republicans or the Democrats would reconcile one another and work in commonality so that things could get done. But they did that because they still had the same vision and goals for the same America. They just disagreed on how to get it done. That stopped. That ended long ago. Now the differences are unreconcilable differences. The Democratic Party doesn't want the old traditional America. They want some new deal. They want some new thing that makes them unreconcilable. They want a form of socialism. They want a different America. They don't want the old America in any way, shape, or form. They want something different and something new, something that is proven to be anti-American, anti-constitutional. So the difference is there's a big divide there. There is no reconciliation. Now, what are they crying? War, death to the president. I'll do it for half the price of uh, that the Iranians are putting out. I mean, just bold and blatant. In any other time in history, that would have been treasonous talk. You were not allowed to say that against the president. But it's okay if it's Trump. It's it's horrible if it's Obama. I right. just, you know, the hypocrisy is just amazing how out of control it is. So, I mean, this has never been before because we've never had parties divided, polarized so completely. There is irreconcilable differences. There is no peace between the two. You can't. It's just like with Islam. Under Sharia law, it is unconstitutional. You cannot have Sharia law and be a constitutional believing American. I don't care how much you say you love America. If you are uh, waiting and anticipating for America to live under Sharia law, it is against the Constitution. And therefore, you can't straddle a fence. You can't be both. You can't be a, uh, a constitutional American and at the same time, an American that desires Sharia law. The two are irreconcilable differences, just as communism and socialism is an irreconcilable difference. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, we're we're teetering on the balance of a civil war. Now, thank God, I think it's only going to be a very short-term situation like 
David Wilkerson talked about two months of of total anarchy and rioting and, and things going on in the cities. But that two months is still going to be pretty hell-raising uh, a challenge for many of us, especially if the the coronavirus is going to be happening at the same time, probably um, like dominoes. There's going to be a lot of other things happening. One triggers off the other, the collapse of the American dollar, just, just so many things I think are going to happen so abruptly, so suddenly that all these changes are going to cause one united people. That's what the reset is all about. We're getting, he's, God is going to get everybody on the same page. His church needs to be in total unity. We're so divided by so many different things. It's ridiculous. Yeah. We are unbelievable as a, as a body of Christ. So there was only one way to get us on that same page. A little bit of, um, um, persecution, a little bit of threat. We're never motivated to get unified until we have no other choice but to get unified. Yeah, that's right. Well, so, you know, one, one major thing is, uh, just the difference between fundamental fundamentalism in Christianity and and uh, and spirit filled Christianity. Oh my God, please! Ugh. Yeah, it's it's like you know you could be both. I know that you and I uh, we call ourselves Bapticostals, <laughs> right? You know, because I I love the fact that the Baptists. I'm a Calvinist too. I'm yeah. a Calvinist too. The Baptists are always uh, in the Bible. They're, you know, they they quote the Bible backwards and forwards and everything else, but the, there's no freedom there for the spirit to operate, and that's what I like about the the Pentecostal movement, not the United Pentecostal Church, but the uh, you know Pentecostalism in general, is that there's freedom in the Holy Spirit, you know, so you can be a Bible-toting, Scripture-loving person and still be a uh, Pentecostal in nature. Matter of fact, it probably makes you more of a Bible-believing uh, Christian. Well, you, know. you get a, a rich foundation of the logos of the word, the written right. word, and then the rima is the personalization. We always go around touting that we have a personal relationship with Christ. Well, if we do, then we means that means we have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus. We don't look at him as a formula. We don't look at him as a law. We look at him as uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to write upon our hearts his word, his law, uh, in a very personal manner. Um, in Psalms, uh, no, Proverbs 3, it says that we are to wear grace and mercy around our necks like a necklace. When you think about that, that means no matter where you turn, left or right, any other direction, you're, whatever you say or do is going to reflect grace and mercy. That's right. Now, how much grace and mercy are in most chat rooms? Uh, Not a whole lot. Yeah. It's, how, about, uh, how about Facebook? Uh, yeah, even Facebook. Are you ready to rumble? You know, and then you have these debates and, oh, he owned a man. He got, you know, it's like stuff shouldn't even exist in the church. Right. Why and how? You know, it's just, it's crazy. And they will know of my love as they see how you have love for one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Um, and love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Therein hangs all of the law. That's what, that's Jesus' own words. That's what his quote was. The root of everything is love. Having love and respect for one another. I don't see a lot of love and respect in a lot of these debates and challenges and, and chat rooms and, and Facebook. My 
goodness, we're so divided. So God has to have a plan to get us unified to be the people that we're supposed to be during this great agitation. It ain't going to happen any other way. We're going to have to be motivated by a little double dose of persecution. So it's not a surprise when I hear the Dems talking about having a revolution, having fighting. If we can't get it this way, you know, they're already Antifa. Oh, that's a big scary thing, Antifa. You know, they're going to they're going to pick up guns and, and start a revolution. Well, you better kill all the Vietnam vets first, okay? Yeah. <laughs> We're the oldest and sickest and, and least in health. But you know what? Most of us, like me, we can still um, shoot a fly off of, of a, a pile of crap from a mile away because that's what we've been taught. Right. Because most of us had to uh, endure hardship as a soldier. So you better take us out first because you guys don't even know one end from the other on a, a gun because you've been so anti-gun all your life. You don't know nothing about them. You're a joke. You're a, you're, <laughs> yeah, I'm really concerned. <laughs> it's a joke. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Antifa. The, the wonderment of, uh, stupidity. I don't I don't know. And, I just, I watched them and, you know, a brave man, will not cover up his face. A brave man wants to go into battle in order to win the battle. He doesn't care about who, what he looks like or who he is. And, but the first, the first hint that we're dealing with cowards is they cover up their faces. You know, now I don't know whether that's because they don't want mommy to see them on national television being mean or, or if their professor might, oh, professors probably side with them. So that's a, that's a moot point. But, um, you know, uh, or they don't want their grandma or their girlfriend or something to see them out there doing what they're doing. But a brave man goes out there without a mask, uh, you know, to to fight for what he believes right, fight against what he believes to be wrong. So um, that's the first unselling point for me when it comes to Antifa, not to mention all the other stupid things that they do. Um, They say they're fighting fascism, but they're using all the all the resources and all the means that Hitler and the brown shirts used to intimidate people. And, uh, I don't know the, those people, the brown shirts and the, and, uh, Nazis and stuff, the, uh, the SS were, um, they, they all use those tactics. So if you're going to try to prove to me that you're anti-socialist or you're, uh, you're anti, um, fascist, excuse me. Um, then don't use fascist means in order to (laughs) yeah exactly you know and and what's sad getting back to this other two the the idea of a limited edition gospel uh and that's what i call fundamentalism fundamentalism is what i first came in contact with when i became a christian and got saved and i thank god that i had that foundation laid by fundamentalists because they're really strong on the word that, hey, whatever uh, experience you have, it has to go back to book, chapter, text, and verse in the Bible. It has to be confirmed in the Bible or it's not real. I so appreciated that input that I got from them because I have had many supernatural, some paranormal, some supernatural from God, uh, experiences that I've been able to go do exactly that, go back to the scriptures 
see it, rightly divide it in context, and see what it really has to tell me. And unfortunately for them, it told me that there's a whole lot more still available, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. He's never changed. The mm -hmm. laws never changed. Now it's the only difference is, no, some things did. I mean, you don't want to have to, ch you know, um, cut your beard in a certain particular way. Those were details for a time and a season for a purpose. But the basic laws were never going to end. They just are going through a transformation. Now they're written on, on upon our hearts by God through the Holy Spirit personally. So God is going to work with us differently. We're all, in that sense, in a positive way, like snowflakes. No two are the same. They're all different. So God's going to work in each one of us individually as a unique individual. And so we are to have grace and mercy, respect for one another, and let God be God in our lives to write upon our hearts how he needs to do it. He might deal with you and me totally different in different ways because he knows what's more harmful in our life, what our backgrounds were, what we've gone through. But the thing is, he's going to do the same purposes and reasons all throughout so there's no dispensations there's no god has changed gears and switched ideas or anything he's not changed anything he's never changed anything um we're finding out even now the dietary laws even though now we're permissible to eat things that are you know through prayer but if we obey the dietary laws it's to our maximum health and boy, we're finding that out because now even just in not even natural stuff, but with everything being converted over to Franken food and genetically modified and everything, all this kind of goopy crap, it's really hard. But if we go back to those rules, it keeps us healthy. It keeps us strong. It keeps us safe. So nothing's ever changed. So, you know, man, today, today I have been contending uh, with fundamentalists that automatically want to see me as their enemy, a wolf in sheep's clothing with false prophecy, false ideas, false this, false that, all solely based on the fact that these gifts have ended when the apostles died. There are no gifts. Therefore, you are all wrong. Everything you say is wrong. Everything Kim Clement ever said was wrong. Everything that, that uh, Mark Taylor says is wrong. Trump is wrong. Everything is wrong. I mean, it's just... It's insanely ridiculous. I shouldn't say that. So one guy was very pro-Trump, even alluded that he was special forces. And and uh, I don't know whether he was trying to use that as an intimidating factor or not. But it's like, OK, so uh, so was I. Big whoop. That's uh, one more thing that we have in common. Not that something that should be uh, against us. Um, you're pro-Trump. You're you're. Um, have the same kind of background, military background that I have, shouldn't that bring some kind of camaraderie and uniting together? I, I appreciate, you know, you and what you accomplished and where God has brought you, but no, instead all you see is a false prophet, a false teacher, because I don't line up with your doctrine. Guess right. what? Your doctrine doesn't line up with the word of God. You are wrong. And, and I told him, I said, look, I don't even want you to respond because I'm obviously not going to convince you to change your position and you're certainly not going to change my position. So just let this go. Um, he sent, he barraged me with comments and postings on Facebook and instant message faster than I could keep up with. He was like a mad dog 
on a just a foaming at the mouth, shooting out stuff faster than I could even do anything. But when he shot me the private ones, he was cussing and swearing and told me to kiss his butt and just I mean <laughs> it was like, Oh, this is this is precious. You made no this so easy to here. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, you are showing just you are legitimizing why I have the minister that I have, because you're so locked up in dogma. That you're so blind to the truth that you can't even follow simple instructions. I said not to say anything. And now you're going to get foul mouthed and everything. You know what? Yeah, I chose to go ahead and publish it. I took a snapshot of his name and of his comments. I said, this is why I have to have a minister like this. This is why there's others, uh, so-called watchmen, that are doing the same thing. And we're coming up with the same scriptures and the same things because traditional Christianity has been so lodged in man-made traditions and man-made ideas that aren't even scriptural that if this is what you want, this is what you're going to get, but it's going to be on the wrong people on the wrong side. Satan's going to flip the switch. Man, you don't have any idea what's coming. And with your limited edition gospel, you're not even prepared. Everyone around you and you yourself are in danger. You're not going to make it, not on a limited edition gospel. But God in his mercy is going to give you an opportunity to see how you're not going to make it so that you can either hop on one side or the other. No, no gray shaded areas to hide in. You're not going to have this anymore. You're going to have to see how ineffective your limited edition gospel is against the powers of darkness that are pulling out all stops and using everything against us. So it's insane to think that God is going to make you fight him with one hand tied behind your back because the limited edition gospel, your belief system, that thinking that these gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are here more powerful now than ever before, even more powerful in the first uh, century church. My Bible tells me that the latter rain is greater, going to be greater than the former rain. Now, if the disciples can walk through a town in their shadows, kick out demons. I don't know about you. The last time, the only, the only time a shadow ever did anything for me is I removed uh, light in the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I got a long way to go, I guess, you know, I mean, um, I love that feeling. I mean, come on, man. Um, we got a long way to go, and you're going to refuse the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are being going to be poured out in an abundance at these last days to fight. Oh, and the fact is that you're going to be around to fight, but you're not going to just get poofed away. Right. Um, right. Many of you are going to be around, and you're going to wonder why and how and how come. You know. Uh, you know what? I don't even need to defend it. I don't need to push it. I don't need to uh, do anything other than what the Lord told me. Just be willing to tell those that are willing to listen and everybody else let it go. <clears throat> I can't exactly. I can't hard sell Jesus. I can't convince you of something that you're already convinced otherwise, but God has a way in his mercy and grace to show you how deeply wrong that theology is. It's wrong. It's based on man-made traditions that don't even line up with the word of God. So you want to follow the Tim LaHaye Left Behind series and live a limited edition? Let me know how it works out for you in November. We'll talk right. about it. Right. Because things are going to, oh, things are going to be so different. But that's why I'm being patient. I'm I'm not taking any of it personal. I'm not letting it discourage me. I can't unlearn what I know. Um, I've taken my brain and put it at the feet of Jesus and said, hey, you know, this could be a big problem, but I want you to direct every step of the way. Show me every step of the way. So then I get the anointing plus a, a pretty good brain. Then I get the best of both. So 
Yeah. I can't unlearn anything, you know, flat earth, round earth. Well, you know, it's not so much whether it's flat or round, it's the physics that go along with it. You're going to believe that there is no outer space. Boy, you're going to have a hard thing to come to reconcile very soon, very soon. When my Bible in Obadiah says that Babylon would mount up uh, and make a nest amongst the stars, when you look in the original Hebrew there, they're talking about real places of colonization. And, you know, our guest we had last week, you know, talking about the secret space program, um, that's more believable than than the fairy tales the Muslims are trying to, you know, get us to swallow to, uh, uh, what is it, cultural jihad. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. <laughs> I'm am I? Yeah, I am. I, okay, okay. I'm just. Uh, I'm so, no, no, it's okay. It's pumpkin time. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh. I'm getting notes from from um, from Eric and from Dave both. So I'm sorry, everybody. Yes, it's pumpkin time. It's time to go, and and I hope that we have given you some encouragement. Yes. Um. Definitely. Preparation. Um, Agenda 21, maybe we can discuss that more next week because okay. um, we didn't get into it too much right now. But there is an agenda, but we have nothing to fear about. God is in control, and he's going to make sure that those that put their trust and faith in him are going to be okay. But we're going to tell you next week how okay you really are. Yep. It's pretty cool. Agenda eternity. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, folks. Well, we want to thank you for tuning in, or if you're listening uh, afterwards or downloaded, thank you for for doing that. And we just uh, pray that everybody has a wonderful week this week until next Monday, and of course after that. Um, but uh, again, thank you. We appreciate our our uh, listeners, and uh, we love our listeners. And even if you don't agree with us, and uh, you uh, you know, might send something in a negative. We still love you. We pray for you because we know that uh, God loves you. And that's uh, that's the most important thing. And hopefully you can uh, accept that and uh, get to know him and love him a lot better. Uh, by the way, before we close, uh, we've been praying for Rush Limbaugh. And uh, he came out this last week and said that he has a very deep and personal relationship with God. So that tells me that uh, Rush Limbaugh is probably a born-again believer, and um, which I'm very thankful. In, in time, harvest time, man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, that's great guys. to know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys have a wonderful uh, evening. Um, have, a, have a great sleep, and uh, uh, until we meet again. All right, guys. God bless, man. God bless. God bless you all.